For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, he is considered the most influential Christian since the Apostle Paul. His writings have permanently marked all three branches of Christianity, Roman Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox. Uh, All three branches of Christianity claim him as their own for different reasons. Um, I don't know if you've ever met a genius. I think I've met two or three geniuses in my life. Well, uh, St. Augustine was probably a genius on at least four levels. So he's the kind of person that comes along in every millennium. Um, He was one of the greatest writers and articulate orators of Latin in the ancient world. He was a theological genius who wrote some of the most profound theological treatises that have ever been written. He was a psychological genius with unbelievable insight into the human heart long before psychology was a thing. As well, he was also a philosophical genius and is still studied by philosophy students around the world. On top of all of that, he was a pastor of many pastors and pastored a large congregation in North Africa in Hippo. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I wanted to look up exactly where that was in North Africa, but North Africa... He was known and is known today not only as being an over-the-top genius on many levels, but also for his profound and deep godliness and his love of Christ. Last year, I spent um, a lot of time reading uh, his largest work, uh, which was his sermons on the Psalms, sermons that he preached over 30 years to his congregation in Hippo. Uh, His sermons on the Psalms number more than 3,000 pages. And I was deeply affected by them. I haven't read all of them. I've just dipped into probably about a third of them. Augustine was a profound thinker of truth. And this is easily demonstrated in the 40 plus volumes of his teaching on various subjects that have been published. Yet in spite of his incredible love of knowledge, Augustine emphasized something else as the center of everything. And it is this emphasis that has so affected me over the last year. Augustine emphasizes over and over and over again in his writings the centrality of love in our relationship with God and others. And as the really the hermeneutical key, the key to proper interpretation of the Bible. In particular, he spent so much time reminding his people of how much God loved them. And that this love was supremely displayed when Jesus died on the cross. He taught that God is glorified when we see properly. We see him in his beauty when we perceive the infinite love that God the Father has had for God the Son that is is transmitted between them by God the Holy Spirit. There's this eternal love relationship that God has had within himself 
and that the, the love was so vast and so deep that it spilled out into a river of love for believers. This is what he emphasized again and again that is the very center of everything. And he only taught this because this is what the Apostle Paul taught and this is what Christ taught and lived. And this grand theme is what I want to consider with you over the next 30 minutes or so. So let's read a text from Ephesians, one of the grand, grand texts of the New Testament. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14, and I'd like to read through to verse 19. Here we have the Apostle Paul praying, and this is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this very prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed, this holy of holies prayer, Lord, that you would answer it today as we wander around this diamond, look at its many facets. Lord, I feel completely unworthy to try to describe this, the grandeur of this section, but I pray for your Holy Spirit to do the very thing that Paul asks, that he would strengthen us with power in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would have strength to comprehend the, the absolute magnitude of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might all be filled with all the fullness of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is one of the most remarkable prayers in all of the Bible. And its position in the book of Ephesians is very significant. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Ephesians, just, just hang on for a moment. And those of you who are not familiar, listen carefully. Uh, the book of Ephesians is divided into two sections. There are six chapters. The first three chapters are all about the glorious things that God has done for us in Christ. The last three chapters are all about how to live as a Christian. The, our response to the glorious things. The, the first three chapters are all about God's massive plan to, to rescue sinners and transform them into Christ-likeness. Now, the last three chapters are all about what that looks like in practical terms. But the big question is this. How do we connect 
what God has done for us and his purposes for us with how we actually are to live. What's the secret hinge that connects these two together so that, so that this great provision can actually produce this? You've heard me say this so often before. If I tell my son to go get bread at the store and I give him all the right directions, but I don't give him the money, he's, he's, he's bound to fail. It's a mission, a failed mission from the start, even if all the information is correct. You need the provision to, to have success in the mission. So the question is, how do you get success? How do you get this money, as it were, in your pocket so that you can actually do what God wants you to do? Sometimes it feels like there is no connection. We can't seem to get to the help we need to live the life that God has called us to live. I feel like sometimes the Christian life feels like interacting with one of those childproof medication bottles, you know? Um, you definitely need an IQ higher than mine. You know, press down, squeeze together, turn to the left a little bit this way, that way, and presto, off comes the cap. Except that it seems to me that many childproof bottles are also adult-proof, and you can't get it off. And you just, for me, I just sometimes go, Joanne, just go in the other door. I got the pills. They're all crushed. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 tells us how to get the top off the medicine so that we can use it. I think this, this section of scripture teaches us the following, that we need divine power to welcome Christ and to fully appreciate his immense love for us. We need divine power to welcome Christ and to fully appreciate his immense love for us. And, and, and what Paul does is he, he connects the first three chapters of God's provision with the last three chapters of how we are to live. The hinge is connected through this prayer. Paul says, if you can just get this, all will be well. This is going to help you get the, the cap off the bottle so the medication can hit the problem. Now, the last time I, I spoke to you in our Holy Spirit series of messages, I spoke to you from Romans 5, verse 5, where we talked about how God pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now I want to build further on that truth by showing you what he teaches us in this text. So notice first that we need power to welcome Christ's presence within us. We need power to welcome Christ's presence within us. Notice this in verses 16 and 17, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is a remarkable request on many levels. Who is Paul speaking to here? Well, he's speaking to the Ephesians. And if you were to read, we're not gonna take the time to do this, but if you were to read Ephesians 1 
in Ephesians 2, it would become very clear to you that he's talking to believers. He's, in Ephesians 1, he talks about uh, them believing in Christ and, and receiving a deposit, a guarantee through the Holy Spirit. It tells us in Ephesians 2 that he was, they were dead in sins, but God made them alive with Christ. It says at the end of Ephesians 2 that, that he is building them all together into a temple where God lives by his spirit. It's obvious he's speaking to believers here. But the question is, why then does he use this language? The, that they would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. And they would need a, a mighty infusion of the Holy Spirit's power for, for them to get to that place. I mean, isn't the very definition of a believer someone uh, who has Christ living in them? These verses that you know well, let me remind you of them. Christ in you, in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then, of course, maybe the most telling of all, Romans 8.9, remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So yes, every believer has the spirit living in them and in a sense, the spirit of Christ living in them. But these verses are talking about something more than that. They're talking about something on a different level than that. And we have to get to that level if we're gonna be able to put into practice the things that God wants us to, to do and live Obedience, the obedient Christian life, the growing Christian life is tied to us getting to this place. The key to properly understanding what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is to understand what the word dwell means here. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a special word. It's a, it's a strong word in the original language. It has the idea of living comfortably. It it's, means that getting to the place where Christ can say about our hearts, ah, home sweet home. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, some of you, and if it wasn't you, it was your parents, and if it wasn't your parents, it was your grandparents. So almost everyone here can, can relate to what I'm about to say. Uh, some of you, came to Canada from another country. You immigrated here. And when you, when you first arrived in Canada, Canada became your new home. But even though it was your new home, it, it wasn't comfortable for you yet. There's so many cultural things that were different. The, the weather was different. There were, the, the, the mangoes were horrible. I mean, uh, there was so many things that you had to adjust to. And it, it took a long time, even though it was your home, it took a long time for you to feel like it was really your home, like it felt like your home, like you were comfortable here because that kind of thing takes time. I would say that in the 12 years that we were in Japan, we became more and more comfortable there, but we never got to the place where we felt like it was home. It takes a long time for that to happen and it takes a lot of adjustments. 
Well, the difference between that experience that most of us can relate to on one level or another is that with Christ indwelling, he doesn't slowly adjust to his environment. In, with Christ indwelling, we're the ones that are making the adjustment so that he can feel comfortable. We're changing things in the environment so that Christ can feel completely at home in our hearts. Now, what does this look like practically? It means that, that sinful practices have to go. And new priorities need to be pursued. Everything that is unlike Christ has to be taken out to the dump or at least put out at the curb on garbage day. Uh, Things that should be present uh, in our interior home, as it were, need to be bought. Things that are missing that should be there. Things like loving others, loving people that you wouldn't naturally be attracted to, people that would never be your friends Ordinarily, you learn to love them. People that don't enhance your personal portfolio. Uh, you add that kind of love. You start loving people that you aren't, wouldn't ordinarily love. We get rid of bitterness. We take bitterness out to the, to the curb and we, we start practicing forgiveness. Maybe that's never been a practice in your life. Uh, you hear about it, you know what it means, but you don't practice it. But no, if you're gonna make Christ feel comfortable, you better get rid of your bitterness and you better start practicing forgiveness. We need to stop indulging in lustful fantasies and start practicing gratitude and unselfishness in their place. We need to stop waiting around for people to care for us and, and start instead going towards them and caring for others. We, we do a little less mindless texting. There's nothing wrong with texting, but there's a lot of mindless texting that goes on. A little less of that and a little more thoughtful praying. We, we commit ourselves to the local church. We, we stop making excuses. We stop living for work and finding our identity and security in our bank account and instead start working to live by finding our identity and security in eternal things that lasts beyond the grave. And as we clean shop, little by little, some of us do it faster, some of us do it slower, but as we, as we clean shop, we, we make our inner being a place that Christ feels more and more at home in. He dwells in our hearts comfortably. The reality is that as we work on this, as we, as we start to adjust things, as our inner life starts to transform, we find that Christ actually enjoys living within us. So how do we bring this about? How, how, how does this actually work? Well, we can't bring it about. That's, that's, where, that's, where Paul, that's why Paul has his prayer. Our, the, the, here's here's the, the, the breakdown is we see that we, we should do that. We see the benefit of that. But the problem is that our wills are too weak to carry out the garbage. And then sometimes we carry the garbage out and then after dark when nobody's watching, we bring the garbage back in again. Our our, our affections, our desires are warped. We we love the garbage more than we love the new things that, that we should be bringing in. Our habits are so 
deeply entrenched within us that we, we, we cannot, in fact, we don't even want to change. And friends, the only way that this situation is to be altered is there's gonna have to be divine power enters in. We need power to actually get to the place where we welcome the interior renovations that Christ wants us to have in our life. It needs, we need supernatural power or we will not do anything about the changes that are necessary. We'll hear about them on a Sunday. We might feel conviction about them, but our life remains essentially the same week after week, month after month, year after year unless there's an infusion of divine power. This, this text that, that Paul presents to us, this incredible prayer, is really, I think, a parallel text to the, the call of Jesus in, in Revelation 3.20. He says to a church, to Christians, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus is knocking and he's on the outside. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You look at that text in Revelation 3.20, that is addressed to believers. But Jesus is saying, I'm on the outside. There's, something, there's some level of my relationship with you where I'm, not, I'm on the outside and I'm asking you to welcome me in and I've, I'll have dinner with you and we'll talk. We'll laugh together. That's, a, that's a, an invitation by Christ. Christ is requesting entrance so that he can have communion with us without any hindrances. It's talking about welcoming Jesus into our life without any reserve, not letting him come in and have complete access to every room in our house, every closet, the basement, Nothing anywhere in our life where Jesus isn't free to look around because we're not gonna be embarrassed by anything. In fact, we want him to come in and take over. Paul says that, that if, we're gonna, if we're gonna grow, if we're gonna be able to connect the, the money, as it were, the provision of God to the way he wants us to live, we have got to get to this place as Christians where Christ is comfortable in our lives. Now, let me think for a moment with you about this overused but under-understood under word, faith. Notice in verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So all, all up to then, it's all about God giving something, power from the Holy Spirit to make this happen. But then he adds this little piece, through faith. So what, what, what does he mean by this? Well, I think... This is what he's getting at. It's a greater and greater dependence on Christ and that, that our lives increasingly are defined by Jesus and what he has done for us. Especially, we, 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 we are defined by the fact that we are immensely loved by God. And we get that. So I would further break down faith 
the kind of faith that are, that's needed in believers in this way. And I, I just don't have the time to unpack all the, all the sections of scripture that are going through my mind as I think about this. We just don't have the time. Um, in the mentoring that I do with guys, I talk about this a lot. I take, spend a lot of time in the passages that show this. But you're going to have to just on faith, believe me, that the two characteristics that I think that are, are behind this are desperation and dependence. One of the things that's, that really uh, fascinates me as the Bible talks about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and believers and how we get his, his activity in our life always is presented in terms of desperation. And we can do another series on that sometime to show you this. But desperation is part of what faith is here. There's a desperation and a dependence. We get to the place that we are utterly dissatisfied with our inner lives. Most of us are dissatisfied on a certain level, but we're not utterly dissatisfied. We're not desperate yet. We're not desperate enough to seek Christ with all our heart and soul. Speaking of one of the people in Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, it says he did evil for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And then in Psalm 119.2, it says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That verse makes it very clear that those who keep his testimonies, those who obey God, are the ones who seek him with their whole heart. As long as we hold something back from Christ, he will not live comfortably in our hearts. So that's the first request in this passage. Power to make our heart a place where Christ can live comfortably. Now, some of you know that in the Gospel of John, John 15, it tells us that we need to abide in Christ. Well, in Ephesians Three, it's the, it's the mere image of that. It's that Christ needs to abide in us. This is how personal transformation happens, through abiding. We abide in Christ, but Christ also has to abide in us. Personal transformation can't even begin until we have this in place. We welcome Christ's presence so that, so that we can see what we are blind to without him. We, this, this is the first piece of this amazing prayer about love. We can't even get to the love piece until Christ is functioning this way in our life. If Christ is not comfortable in our heart, we might as well forget about seeing and grasping the love of God for us. It ain't gonna happen. This is the first part. You have to get to the place where Christ is comfortable in your life. There's nothing that's making him uncomfortable. And then once that's there, now you're in a place to get this next glorious revelation. We can see what we are blind to see without him. And notice what it is that we are seeing It says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. 
Here's another power word that you might have strength. You'd never think that it requires strength to get love. What, why do I need power to understand love? Well, this is, you don't get this without power that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. (laughs) My friends, if we get to the place as a church that we're filled all the fullness of God, we're gonna be doing pretty good. And you don't get there until you receive and comprehend how much God loves you. It's essential. So let's move from our first point to the second point. We not only need power to welcome Christ's presence within us, but we need power to fully appreciate Christ's love for us. Notice what it says in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend. Strength to comprehend. This is not talking about our love for God, nor our love for our neighbor, as important as that is. It is talking about God's love for us, and in particular, Christ's love for us. Verse 19 tells us that this love, uh, we, we are given power to comprehend, that is a knowing word, to know this love that you can't know. You're, you're, you're gonna start to grasp, grasp it, but it's, it's something you, you can't get completely. You get enough to make it tra- a transformation in your life, but you never completely get it because it's infinite. You, you can't get your hand around it because it's too big to do that. This is no mere intellectual knowledge. This isn't just understanding the sermon on Sunday. It's not just studying the, a book about how God loves you and saying, yeah, I get that. Okay, I, I get it. It's not just doctrinal knowledge. It's, it's a revelation to the heart. What the Holy Spirit does is he gives us power to see. To, to see in our heart through the eyes of faith where we, where we really believe it. You know, it's easy for a, a, a boyfriend to tell a girlfriend that he loves her to get what he wants often. But I'm telling you, it's another thing when, when the girlfriend really believes that this guy loves her, you know, and is really convinced of that. It's one thing to hear the words. It's another thing to believe it. That's true in marriages as well. You know, uh, there's, uh, you know, she knows that I love her or he knows that I love her, you know, and they do kind of, but it's another thing to really know it. That's what this is talking about. The really seeing how much God loves you, that it's not just a kind of a, a, a cold data fact, not just information. There, there's something profound being, being communicated that you need to know and to feel and to experience and to be able to rely on. And this, this love, this is not going to surprise any of you, this love is displayed most fully on the cross. For it's, it's there we see how much God loves us, that he'd do anything to save us. He would run into the place of danger 
And not just danger, sacrificing his own life and sacrificing his life in the most gruesome way to, pr- to protect us from the wrath of God. Listen to these many verses that emphasize over and over and over again how much Christ loves us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The Lord Jesus Christ himself who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's an amazing verse. Oh, man, goodness. How much does the Father love the Son? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus says. Abide in my love. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you know what's amazing about Galatians 2.20? That Paul was able to say this, that he doesn't just love us or doesn't just love the world. Paul was able to say with conviction, the son of God who loved me, see, personal, and gave himself on the cross for me. Now, I admit to you that as I tell you this, I feel like um, I'm like a man that's trying to describe to his friends what it's like to skydive when he's only seen YouTube videos of what it's like. It's one thing to know what skydiving's like theoretically. It's another thing to actually jump out of a plane. And I would tell you honestly as your pastor that there have been times that I have tasted what is described here. I have tasted it. But it's not my regular experience. But I think it could be. And I think it could be the regular experience of every single person in this church. Because this is not written for the elite. This isn't some like super spiritual experience that's reserved just for the super spiritual. It's for every believer. That's why it's in the canon of scripture. But it is never automatic. It must be prayed for. And it must be prayed for earnestly with all our hearts. And now listen very carefully. What we're talking about right here, this is the central reality in Christianity. This is the central reality. The reason that Augustine emphasized this is because this is the center point. God, it's not our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Those are the greatest commands. But that's not the center, my friends. That's the echo the, the song that's sung across the canyon is that God loves us. And the echo that comes back is our love for him and the neighbor. But it all starts with him and getting how much he loves us. 
It is living with Christ's uninterrupted presence and knowing Christ's unending love that makes everything else possible. Knowing Christ's uninterrupted presence and knowing his unending love that makes everything else possible. All of us know on one level that Christ loves us. If you're a believer here today, you know that. Or you wouldn't have put your faith in. How could you have put your faith in someone that you didn't think loved you? But on a deeper level, we disbelieve it. We wrestle with it. We don't see how much we are loved by God. And therefore, we try to get loved by others. We try to find our ultimate security in things that don't last, that are temporary. We don't see this truly. We don't grasp it. And we don't believe it. And what we find in this text is that this this grasping, this getting, this getting to the place where Christ lives like this within us and then opens the door to us understanding how much God loves us. This begins with prayer. Prayer for the Holy Spirit's power. So let me ask you, do you you want this for yourself? Do you want this for yourself, really? Will you, will you pray for this for yourself? Will you pray for this for others? Because Paul prayed this for others. And here's something else to consider. If you don't want it, if you feel in your heart that, you know, there's things about that that are very attractive to me, but I kind of like my life the way it is right now, and I just kind of have like a little bit of God and a little bit of myself, and this seems to be a pretty good system. You know, I don't, I don't know if I want to go that all that way. Um, if, if you're in that situation, would you be willing to at least ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and, and, and work on your wanter? Because your wanter is broken. You want the wrong stuff. To ask God to help you to want what Christ wants. All forward movement, all forward movement in our Christian life comes ultimately from comprehending how much Christ loves us. Every mess up in your life right now, conflicts, besetting sins, issues that you have, things that where the Christian life just doesn't seem to work with you, this is where, this is the root of it right here. This, this is where you've gone wrong. You don't get how much God loves you because you don't get it. There's, there's misfires. And I, listen, we're all gonna sin to the day we die. We're never gonna be perfect, okay? We're, we all agree with that. But there's, well, there's a fundamental short circuit. You know, I feel like too many of us are trying to water the garden and we're wondering why there's nothing coming out. We keep pushing it. And we're not noticing there's a little kink in the, in the hose over there. You know, going, what is wrong with this stupid, the, the, flow in this, the flow in this stupid town of Cookstown, there's no, there's no water pressure here, you know? And what is wrong with these? They, they don't make hoses like they used to. Look at this stupid handle, man. It's broken already. And somebody says, 
Tim? Yeah, what, what, what? Tim, come over here. Let me show you something. It's what we need, my friends. We, we, we need to uncork the flow. Without this, the cap on the childproof bottle will stay fastened, hard, locked, and God's solution to our problem will remain out of our reach. Let's pray. Father, this is what we ask for then. We ask that you will make us a praying people that are willing to pray with desperation and dependence for this. Lord, if we've sang all today about your promises, you've made so many promises that you want to pour out your spirit upon us. You want, to, you want us to know your love. There's not a father on the, on the planet that doesn't want his, his children to know how much he loves them or a mother that doesn't want their children to know how much they love them or a grandparent that doesn't want to know how much they are loved, how much more must this be true with you? You want us to know and to be secure and to live joyfully and happily in your love. As it says in Jude, to keep ourselves in the love of God. This is what we want, Father. Help us to get there. Give us the Holy Spirit so that we can get there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.